Welcome to the Battle College Podcast. This is episode number 11, recorded August 13th, 2013. And tonight we've got a really fun topic. Uh, we're going to be talking about game design and sort of taking a historical perspective on this. Someone who's been writing games for a very long time, and we have a special guest for that. And Will, who would our special guest be? Our special guest today is Ray Michelle, who um, some of you may not know is actually the most prolific writer in the Denver Boulder chapter. Um, I checked with our our uh, source today, and sure enough, he has written more games than anyone else in Denver Boulder. Woohoo! Ray, did you know that? Uh, no, I, I knew I was, you know, up in the top, probably the top three, but you, you kind of lose count. So no, I did know that. <laughs> yeah. So uh, D- Dave Mack actually has more more uh, production credits than you do, but that's because he's done a lo- he's done more games that weren't his. But Brandon. Brandon believes that, uh, as far as just like having written games, that uh, that you are the top. So, Woo-hoo. congratulations, gold star for you. Is that <laughs> or a bad thing? <laughs> I'd, you'd have to ask your wife. Yeah. <laughs> so, Will, you got the first question for Ray? I do. So, Ray, just before we get started on um, the actual issue of game design and sort of the historical perspective, uh, I thought we could ask you a few questions about. You know your background, where you coming, where you're coming from, um, all that kind of stuff. So, uh, so when when did you get started in IFGS, and 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 what was it that got you started? Oh, okay. So yeah, I I actually first heard about IFGS uh, in 1983, and uh, it, it was sort of a it was sort of a funny introduction. I uh, I had gotten the book Dream Park uh, as a Christmas gift, uh, you know, several <laughs> years. Before. Yeah. And I, you know, of course, read it, and you know, at that time, I, I was probably I don't know, thirteen or whatever when uh, when I read it, and thought, wouldn't that be cool? You know, that that was cool, cool sci-fi. And uh, you know, of course, in, in those days, you know, D and D came out was a you know the the huge blockbuster. So I, I had uh, I had, you know built up some pretty good relationships with uh, one of the hobby stores near near where I lived. And uh, one day I walked in there. I'd, I'd walk in, and, and one of the sales clerks there, especially, we'd we'd just sit and talk about just stuff, you know, D and D and other stuff. And so one day I went in there, and I, I you know, started talking to her, and I happened to look down, and there was there was a, a stack of flyers on the on the countertop, advertising IFGS, and I immediately recognized it as the the IFGS from Dream Park, and I asked her, I said, is 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 that the same IFGS like Dream Park? And she got a big, you know, big grin on her face and shaking her head. Yes, it is. And she goes, in fact, uh, you know, I'm I'm a member of, of IFGS. And if you're interested, you know, let's let's get you involved. And uh, so how I got involved was, you know, from reading reading Niven and Barnes' book, and uh, you know, just happened to walk into the the right hobby store and and see the you know see a flyer for one of the games. Um, so I I, uh, I actually went to a couple of well one game in '83 that I NPC'd, and then in those days uh, they did Undercover, which was uh, sort of a spy versus spy uh, game, and they usually did those during the winter time, and so I, I went and played one of those games. Uh, I think I think it was probably around November or so, and uh, you know pretty pretty much got hooked. Um, 
you know, I, I give a lot of credit to, to Dan Frazier and Kathy Frazier because uh, in, in those days they, they really, uh, they were, you know, they were ambassadors. They, they really made sure that, uh, you know, I didn't fall out of touch. And, and also the, the, the gal that worked at the hobby store, her name was Pat, Pat Ferran. And, uh, you know, they just made sure I stayed in touch and, and had all my questions answered. And it didn't take long to, to really uh, just kind of become addicted to IFGS. So cool. that's, that's, the book is absolutely the perfect way to get in. <laughs> okay, no cheating for our studio audience out there listening, but he started in 1983. I want you to think about what the number one Billboard top hit was in 1983, and at the end of this podcast, I will tell you the answer. Okay. Let us continue. Cool. <clears throat> uh, so when did you write your first game, and, and why did you end up deciding to write a game? Like what, what got you into writing? Um, well, really, you know, I've, I've, I, I'm, I'm one of those creative, you know, the, the I, I guess I'm one of the closet, you know, story writers that have never written their book, but, um, at the time, and again, remember too, in those days, you know, they're, they're, you know, we didn't know what computer games were, they didn't exist, so, it, you know, D&D was, was, was a huge game, and, uh, I had uh, I had fallen into a, a group where uh, I, I had been doing a lot of DMing, and uh, for for me, you know, stepping into IFGS was like uh, you know it was like D and D on steroids. It was like you mean I don't have to roll dice; I can go out there and actually fight and actually role play. And so, so I was I was heavily hooked into it. But I mean, pretty much from the beginning, I'd walk into a game and and think about wouldn't it be cool to try this? Wouldn't it be neat to do this? Um, and uh, it, it was, I, you know, a couple of years. It was actually like over the, the late summer or fall of 1985. Um, I, I was talking to, to, you know, some people, like I said, like, you know, Dan, Kathy Frazier, um, you know, John Cade, a couple of them, Mark Simmons, some of the, some of the I'll say, luminary names there. And I was saying, you know, has, has anybody tried this or would this work or would that work? And they basically all looked at me and said, well, you ought to write your own game and see. And... Uh, you know, it was just one of those, hmm, you know, at first it was it was a, a daunting thought, and I thought, yeah, why don't I try and write my own game? So um, that's what I did. I spent the winter, you know, over 1985 and into 86, and uh, wrote a game called The Summoning, and uh, a little mini-game that preceded it for the lore masters. I gave all the pre-game lore in-game, in, in character, in a mini-game. Neat idea. Yeah, and it was. It, it worked well. And what I did, too, is I, I, I kept... I kept the uh, you know the premise of the game as as tight as quiet as I could, so nobody knew what was going on headed into the game. The, this mini game was only two weeks before the the actual game, and uh, you know I'll let I'll let others say yeah, the the games I've been accused of having a a um, a, uh, a large library of lore behind it. So it, it was not it, for me. It was really cool to to just sort of dump the players into this world and kind of just. Uh, introduce all this lore to him from a character's perspective. Sure. Yeah. So, uh, you mentioned lore. What 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 kinds of games do you enjoy playing? Before we get into what kind of games you enjoy writing. Sure. I, you know, I I like um, I I tend to like a more I'll say more serious game. Um, I, I honestly, for me, I, I don't I don't really appreciate. You know, I, I mean, I'll play, for instance, the the kind of the slapstick you know, parody or comedy games, but, 
Um, I, I really like, I think I like a darker flavor. I, I do kind of like, you know, in Ifgis terms, I like a heroic flavor. Um, but uh, I, I've also noticed that's kind of changed, uh, you know, as, as I've aged. You know, when I was younger, I, you know, I was all about the, you know, I played a ranger and I was all about the, the fighting and the hiding and sneaking through the woods. And, and, and now I can't do that so much, but uh, I do still enjoy, uh, I, I enjoy the, a good, serious, you know, uh, give me a tough game. And I appreciate that. I, and I appreciate a game that has a real good, real strong uh, backstory to it. Okay, and so are those the same kinds of games that you like writing, or do you like writing something yeah. slightly different than you like playing? I, you know, I think most writers are guilty of uh, writing what they'd like to play in, and I, I'm totally, guilty. yeah, and I'm guilty of that. So you've written more games for Denver Boulder than anyone else. Do you feel like you've sort of figured out how to do it? Um, like, do, do you have a, a pattern you sort of go through or do you find yourself like every game you write, you're, you're sort of surprised or you're learning something new each game? Yes. Yes. To all the above. Um, I, I think, you know, each time you write a game, you, you, you kind of, you, you see, you see what to do better the next time. But, uh, you know, still, even now I'll tell you, every time you write a game, you, I, you know, I look at it and I, I hope it's gonna it's gonna work. Uh, you know, as you guys know, I just I you know wrote a game earlier this this season where um, you know, we were in the middle of producing the game and uh, I realized that I missed a you know just this huge hole in 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 the writing of the game that uh, you know it was just it was funny that I didn't even think of it. I oh, I hate even... it when that happens. It's that's happened to us multiple times where either in the middle of the production or, or at the end of the game, you're just all like, man, I really wish like I would have thought of, you know, X. Exactly. Exactly. So, so, you know, the answer is, I think anybody who says I've become the expert and I know all there is to know is, uh, they're either, you know, fooling themselves or, or ignorant. You know, um, I think, I think every time I do a game, I, I learn something new. I discover something new. I, I experience something new. But yeah, you know, you do get, uh, you do start learning. You know, I, I do have sort of a, a, an approach, a methodology that I approach a game um, that, that is probably, you know, it's pretty consistent and pretty honed. Yeah. Cool. Okay, so on, on to the actual issue at hand, um, game design. Um, right. So game design, as we're talking about it, is the conception, the writing, editing, and sanctioning of an IFGS game. Um, I know... Like a sort of officially, IFGS defies game designers as also the producer of the the game on game day. But um, just just talking about sort of the stuff that goes on ahead of time, that's that's what we're going to look for some some insight on here. Okay. So you said after, and, and this podcast sort of all came from a, a comment you said after Trial by Fire. You said you had been taken from taking a break from writing for a while since I think Switch Two was your previous game that you had sort of uh, written, and things had changed. And so let's start with this: Do you see any differences in games that are written now versus, say, you know, fifteen twenty years ago, the oh, way we write games? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I think. Uh... I think, you know, major, there, there, there are two major uh, differences. One is, um, you know, really the, uh, you know, the mindset of people. Like I said, you know, 20 years ago, they're, they're, the only example people had to draw on was D&D. 
And uh, so, you know, when you wrote a game, you you, you kind of tried to emulate that model. And I think since the advent of computer games and, and uh, you know, it's, I think computer the, the computer games and, the, you know, massively multiplayer games have, uh, have changed people's um, expectations of a game. And um, I think I think the other the other major difference is just again the advent of technology. Um, you know, people people communicate faster. They exchange ideas faster. Uh, you know, more they get more things done in a day. It's just it's a faster pace. And uh, I, I've noticed you know a, a huge difference in philosophy to um, how people prepare for a game, how how long they want to spend in a game. Um, can you, can you give us a more concrete example? I mean, I'm, I'm very intrigued by this because I am a massively online multiplayer gamer. You know, I play WoW, and I constantly steal stuff from WoW and put it into my games. So I'm I'm curious. Do you have, do you have a good example of this? Um. Well, uh, you know, I'm I'm thinking. Uh, you put me on the spot here. You know, that, for instance, uh, I I think. In in general, like say twenty years ago, the games were um, they they were more uh, I'll say weekend getaways. People planned the entire weekend. The games were two day games, you know, um, and you know, just it seems like nowadays um, it's you know, if you if you it, it seems difficult to get people to commit to an entire weekend. And and I think, you know, I, again, I'm I'm sorry. I, I guess I, I I'm trying to think of a concrete example as we talk, but um, I you know I think that that's sort of a base. You know, in itself, it's a base that, uh, you know, um, you know, you sit down to play the computer game, and and um, I I don't know. It's it's more. Uh, you know, you 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 do a task, get the reward. Do a task, get a reward. And you know, 20 years ago, I, I'm not sure the games were were as much that as they were, again, like I said, more of the D&D uh, model where, you know, people were, you know, their, their characters were adventurers. They were more, uh, I think they were more uh, concerned with their character development, continuation of, you know, bad guys continuing over games, um, you know, getting to know people. Um, you know, it just what, what was important to a character development, I think, has, has changed. And now I, I don't see I don't see so much character development as I see um, here's the mission succeed you know accomplish the mission get the reward. Do you think um, that the the attitude currently or my perceived attitude you can tell me whether you see something else about death has changed because it feels like when when you were talking about that D and D versus uh, sort of MMO style in D and D you want that sort of fear of death, that fear you're going to lose your character, all that kind of stuff. Whereas in the MMO, you die, you come back, you start again. Yeah, I, I've it, definitely seen a change in that. And and again, understand, you know, this is, as as you will, this is my opinion. And, totally. You know, ten people will have ten different opinions, maybe. But yeah, I, you know, I, I learned, again, you know, years ago when I, when I DM'd D&D, I, I learned a lesson that said as soon as those characters stopped fearing death, the game became less fun. So uh, when I write games, I want to push the players. I, I want a character to feel pushed. I want them to feel that risk of death. 
and and um i you know i've noticed as a writer um that's really hard to accomplish these days in ifgs um in part because of the rules you know uh, the rules have made it really easy for a character to to be brought back um you know both in game or between games and uh you know, I get that too. You know, people people spend you know ten years building a character; they don't want to lose it in the game. But I, I do think, uh, yeah, I, I do think it's changed some of the the uh, the complexion of a game where people go in and they're not thinking, "Oh, I got to keep my character alive," and that that certainly was a, a much greater factor, you know, in the games twenty years ago. I think. Going back to the idea of one day versus two days that people are having a hard time committing to the entire weekend. It's funny, Norman and I were just talking about this over dinner the other day, and I, he was sort of bringing up the same issue, that he was having trouble getting people to commit for the entire weekend, and I very much see that right now. I wonder, it seems like there was also maybe more, uh, it's not that we're all not friends right now, but it seemed like there were more friendships that carried outside of you know, like a game day in IFGS back then, at least from the stories I hear. Do you do you feel like that was true? Like people liked hanging out all weekend because it's hanging out in the you know with the you know in the weekend with their friends out in the woods, and that's less so now maybe than than once before. To a point, yeah. I think you know. I mean, I I think back to the people I met in in IFGS you know twenty years ago, thirty years ago. There were certainly. You know, there were certainly a good number of people that I I only interacted with in IFGS. Um, but but what what I think the big difference is, or or the bigger difference is, um, in the early days of of IFGS, again, there was no email, there was no texting, there was you know if if you wanted to talk to somebody, it was either go see them or call them on the phone. So anything that involved more than two people was well, let's set up a meeting. And I think just the mentality was was such that I mean I remember I remember spending you know there were nights there were some weeks it was like you know five nights of the week uh, you know we were having some sort of a meeting some sort of a a gathering to discuss something oh oh and by the way there's a game this weekend and you know at the end of the game the board's going to meet for you know a couple hours on set on Sunday night after the game so I I think there was so much more face to face time that. You know, just just by familiarity, people people became closer. Nowadays, you know, it's 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 so much easier just to shoot off emails, and you're not really uh, you're not really interacting with the people then. That makes sense. Okay, so do you feel like writing is more or less enjoyable now? Do you feel like it's lost something for you? Mm. You know, I. Difficult question. It's it's changed. It's different. Um, and, and like you know, like you commented earlier, I I hadn't written for for you know a number of years prior to this year. Um, so you know, I'm for me, it's 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 been very enjoyable to start getting back into writing. Uh, running trial by fire earlier this year. I've got you know a couple of games now that are in the works, and and so I'm really enjoying the writing process. Um, so I, I can't say it's any less enjoyable, but um, it's it's I don't know it's 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 just different now. Uh, that you know when you when you consider who the you know the characters, um, I, I think I think you have to write. And again, just my opinion, I, I think you have to write more uh, 
sort of open-ended gaming, you know, to see who you're going to have come in. I think the players who play, the, the list of players is uh, in some ways more fluid. Um, and like, like I said earlier, I'm not sure people are as vested for, in the most part, in their, their characters. So, um, you know, it's, I would say it's different, but it's no less or more enjoyable. It's just okay. it's different. And what would you say, like, as, as far as, uh, what have you taken away from, from writing? What are the biggest lessons that you've learned over, you know, what's a fairly extensive period of writing? Well, um, lessons I've learned. Um, you know, I've learned that, uh, the, the term fantasy gaming is broad huh. and, um, you know, you can't, please everybody you, you try and write I, I try and write in sort of grand ideas or you know um, foundational like uh, you know uh, kind of foundational you know uh, motivations things like that to try to capture a, a large spectrum but I've kind of learned that uh, you know if you try and please everybody you end up pleasing nobody so right. it, you write a game that that uh, in a style that you can you can appreciate that you can sort of delve into, um, you know. So that that's been a for me probably the biggest lesson in writing is write what you enjoy, and uh, make it happen for the people who enjoy it. Sure. Um, how do you feel about uh, lore as far as games go? Do you like really deep lore, or do you tend do you tend to overwrite lore, underwrite lore? Do you tend to be disappointed that people don't care about the background background as much as you want? Um, yeah, I, I well, okay, I, I'll answer that in, in pieces. Um, I tend to like lore. I, I more than lore. I, I love to develop sort of the world concept around the game, uh, so that the game feels more dynamic. Um, you know, sort of like a a moment in time in a world. So I, I like to develop the world around the game and meaning, you know, I, I, I for instance, I don't like, I, I don't like the idea that you might walk up and here's just, uh, you know, encounter three is a bunch of banded NPCs or say an order of knights. I want that order to have a meaning and have a purpose. I want, um, sorry, I, I want, uh, you know, I, I, I like that sort of, uh, I guess I'll call it, I'll call it continuity in the world. Um, and, and, you know, usually when you write that, that much lore, that much background, you understand that sometimes you're going to put stuff in a game that maybe two people are going to get. So there's, there's not really a disappointment. It's more the people who do see a subtlety that you intended come up to you and say, did you mean this? Did you, did you intend for this to come through? And, you, you know, for me, it's more that, that sort of like you found an Easter egg and, uh, you know that that that's the pleasure for me, but uh, yeah, I definitely like I, I definitely like more of a, a like I said the story around the game. Sure. So, looking to the future, what what projects are you working on writing right now? Oh, you know, I've I've, <laughs> I've always got a list of, of ideas, and it's just picking the ones that are kind of you know tickling my my creativity at the moment. Right now, I'm. I'm working on the uh, the second game in the Trial by Fire series, um, and and it's coming along really well. Um, you know the sort of the again from years ago the I, I wrote a series of games that uh, 
you know, were real, really popular for people. Uh, you, you know, they're, I call them the Dragon Myth series. Um, so I've been looking at basically how to uh, recycle that series and, and sort of do a, a reboot on it, a restart. Uh, because a lot of the players that, you know, what, what I was doing with that, uh, when it was a long time ago, a lot of those players aren't around. So, I, you know, I'm, I'm looking at uh, trying to get a get a game in that sort of reintroduces that whole series for, for uh, you know, a new generation of players, as it were. Um, and then I've got I've got some other concepts that are, frankly, they're they're not the traditional line courses. I I, I, I kind of quietly in the back of my mind think uh, that as IFGS we need to we kind of need to uh, start figuring out how to sort of evolve our games, how to how to maybe look beyond just doing these standard line courses, players with NPCs, you know, who are very static. Um, so I'm working. I, I really right now, you know feasible or not i'm i've got four projects that i'm i'm really trying to trying to push out in no particular order nice that's awesome yeah so i think yeah yeah i think we're gonna take a little break here and when we come back we've got five questions for you uh and yeah and hopefully we'll uh get to hear your answers so we'll be right back welcome back everybody we are now going to hit the famous five questions with Ray Michelle. Ray, are you ready? Uh, probably not, but go ahead. Fantastic. It's okay. better when you're not ready. <laughs> First question. Uh, what is the best class? <laughs> um, well, it's okay. I, you, can, you can answer honestly. Yeah, no, I, you know, I'm, I'm partial to Rangers. I, I've always loved playing the Ranger. Um, you know, for me, it's it's that that class that I identify with. So I've always got to say, my favorite class is Ranger. Um, boy, mo- I don't know. You know, the the, mo- the the best class, the most powerful class, really. It depends on the game. You know, the games lately have had uh, you know more fighting, so the fighting classes have really seemed preeminent. But uh, you know, you you put a game in that's it's maybe not as much. Uh, not as much fighting, and uh, all of a sudden, you know, maybe the spellcasters start shining a little more. Interesting. Okay. That interesting, but unfortunately, that is incorrect. The correct answer is monk. Knight monk. is the best class. Of course, the knight. But you know, I I, I I will challenge you guys this publicly. You know, coming to one of my games with a team of you know what was it four knights and a cleric it won't yep. work. <laughs> it always works. It won't work. <laughs> okay. Okay. We we are challenged. The gauntlet has been thrown. I have thrown a gauntlet. <laughs> Will, next right. question. What was your favorite game? Oh boy, you know, this is a long history. So I've had I've had several favorites. I, I think um you know, so, some of my early games are favorites just because they were early and they made such impressions. So games like sure. uh, a game called The Magician, uh Randy Frazier's Dane games really made an impression and Jim Corwith did a series of games uh, in he called it the Durrell series, and yeah, those, yeah. those really hit me. I mean, oh, they. I still think about moments in those games. Um, but I, you know, there's been a lot of really fun moments in games that I just I cherish. Um, and you guys wrote one of them with uh, with uh, what what was the first price game? I'm sorry, was Victory. that which one? Victory. Victory. Yeah. Did you play that game? That yeah, the temple. What was that? The temple of the moon or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the moon temple. Yeah, the Moon Temple. 
Oh my God, that was literally, and I'm not just saying this because it's your webcast, but one of my most favorite encounters ever of all time was that, that Loon Temple. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that, was, that, that encounter, for some reason, worked out way better than I think we thought it would ever work out, so, but. Um, okay, so if, you're, uh, if your favorite character had to die, how would you want him to go out? Oh, generally, you know, I think in general, doing something real heroic, saving the team. You know, it's like I die and the rest of the team survives. I, who, uh, who is he? Let's start with that. Who is he? Well, it's funny. My favorite character is my Rangers. His, his name is Everill, Everill Blackmore. And uh, so he's my favorite. And it's funny, though, in the early days, um, I also had my two primary characters were he and a, and a cleric. And I always used to, I never wanted Evro to die. He was my, he was my, you know, forever character. But uh, in those days, uh, clerics had a spell called Death Call. Where you, uh, yes. if, if, okay, for those who aren't familiar, it's, you, you throw this spell and it puts you and basically your opponent into a, sort of a stasis where only one can come out. And so it's a fight to the death. And I always thought it would be so cool for, for that character. I always wanted to, to hit the big big bad guy, you know, say something, you know, one of the, the darker games, say like a Necro game where you, the team doesn't always win, where you could throw yourself into the, the, the death call with the big bad guy and you knew you were going to get plastered, but if, if the rest of the team could get through while well, you, you're keeping the big bad guy trapped, that, that was always a way I wanted him to die. Um, I never had a specific, uh, like I said, Evero, I, I always wanted him to be my, you know, my surviving character, so... Not sure I ever had a a death scene for him. All right, very cool. So, what is the one thing you wish you could change about IFGS? And this could be anything. We've had answers all across the board. <laughs> and that's a difficult one. There are a few things. I I think um. I I think and and this may be a, a grand answer, but I I think in general um. I think IFGIS would do better if, you know, I think one of its strengths is its openness. Anybody can come in and write a game. Uh, anybody can come in and, and get on the board or, or get on the rules committee and, and you know, change the rules uh, to, to their, you know, their preference of rules. Um, I, I think it's, if, if it's I It's cute could, that you've been in the game this long and you still believe that. I do. I do. <laughs> it's, it's really adorable. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> But uh, that's funny. But uh, no, I, I, I think the one thing, if I could change IFGIS, would to give, um, to put more senses of ownership in, in certain areas where um, um, I, I know that's a grand answer or kind of a vague answer, but uh, I, I think sometimes IFGIS fails because we are so open um, that, you know, for instance, it's hard to build continuity as, as you guys have seen you know uh it's it's hard to build continuity in a series either because uh you've got five games between your two games and um so the characters have changed or you know by the time the characters have played those five games all of a sudden your 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 idea for continuous line all of a sudden your your characters have jumped three or four levels you know right or the guy who plays your big bad guy is now graduated and left the state. And there is that, right. There's there's that kind of stuff. So 
So, you know, I think on a, on a grand answer that that's probably my answer because, you know, I think, I think no matter what rule system we have, you know, if there was a perfect rule system, we wouldn't have seen a proliferation of, uh, you know, D and D style, you know, variants to D and D, right. People like different rules. Sure. So I see rules as a vehicle, find a vehicle that works and, and make it work. Um, and that's, you know, that, that tends to be true. I think in a lot of ways, it, you know, characters, you, you've got different characters, different types of characters, but you, you can build them into a story. Um, but, but it's been real hard, I think, to, to give people where they feel franchised in something where something, you know, something means something. Well, I think ownership also, when you, when you build ownership in, into your world, into your, your game system, into your organization, it also helps with retention. People want to, they're invested in it, so they want to stick around and participate, which is definitely an issue that IFGS faces. It's faced ever since I've joined. Right. And I, I think yeah. it's been. Perennially, I think that's been its issue. I, I actually feel pretty lucky that we have, you know, for the price series, we got some people who were very invested, you know. Yeah. Um, Brandon in the bar games has been sort of a, a, a stable rock for us. Uh, Derek Euclid's mage, uh, Dominic's druid, you know, just th there have been some people who really decided that that was what they wanted to do, and, and, and I was... I felt very, very lucky and honored to have have that kind of interest. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, and, and that that is so important for a, uh, I think any continuing or repeating writer, you, you've got to have that that sort of that kernel of, of of you know fan characters, if you will, that that keep coming back. That they they invest into the story, they become truly lore masters for for other players who do come in. Yeah, I mean. Uh, I think Derek's he, he's running a team for Heart of the Highlands, which is coming up. Um, that's entirely Gwendolyn characters. They've they've done some, I mean, some amazing character building, and it's those kinds of those kinds of players that, as a writer, I will bend over backwards to make things awesome for them because I feel like they've given me so much by buying in that I'm I'm basically willing to do anything back. Right. And I, I think, by the way, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw that out as, you know, this kind of reflects back to the beginning of our conversation that, I think that sort of character involvement and investment, is, uh, I, I mean, you guys are seeing what a difference that makes for the writers. Uh, oh yeah. Spirit, and and imagine, you know, and again, if you, as you ask, you know, what what's changed. That's how it was, you know, 20 years ago. If people wax poetic about, you know, quote, the old IFGS, we had problems. We've always had problems. But I think people invested so much more in their characters, uh, NPCs, like the big bad guy NPCs who were recurring. Um, and it just, it does so much. It builds such, such a richer fabric, you know, really, in the games. Totally. Great. We have one last question for you. Will, you want to fire off the last one? Definitely. If you could get one person fictional or real to play on your team who would it be and why <laughs> oh boy that's a tough one um hmm i guess i'd have to say uh i'd say indiana jones nice oh that would be fun <laughs> yeah I, I mean that's a good question and and as soon as you asked me that, I was like, oh, yeah, I remember you asking other people that. And I didn't know the answer as I listened. Um, but, yeah, yeah, Indiana Jones, he, you know, talk about the, 
the, the ultimate adventure. And now we have to figure out what class he is. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks, Ray. Cool. I really appreciate you answer. coming on. That was a great answer. And uh, I appreciate all your insight on, on game design. I think it hopefully will, will help some future game designers out there to, to get some ideas of the process and sort of, you know, what we think about and the way we approach things. Yeah. And, yeah, thank you, guys. I, I appreciate the opportunity. And, you know, if, if I say anything like in closing, if, if anybody is listening to this and they're thinking about writing, um, it's, you know, all I can say is do it. Just do it. It's like jumping into the pool. You know, jump in, try it. Um, because I assure you, it doesn't matter if you've written one game or, or, or 40 games, you, you're always finding new, you know, you're, you're always uh, discovering new things. So don't, don't feel like I'm a new writer. I can't write a good game. Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's obvious from things like uh, Lands of Light that even a new writer, you know, can do some really phenomenal stuff. And, and I think also Lands of Light showed that the, like the, the whole sanctioning committee and everything can be really supportive and, um, yeah, I, new writers should definitely not be afraid. Right, absolutely. And and by the way, you know, I think new writers, uh, you know, if you're a new writer and you come in, you're going to have a a different perspective from the quote experienced writers, and that that variety of perspective, I think, is what keeps the gaming experience richer. Definitely. Great. Yep. Well, thank you very much, and uh, we're going to let Ray go. Everyone else, stick around. We're going to take a little break, and when we come back, we're going to just talk a little bit, Will and I, about what's been going on lately with IFGS. And, uh, yeah, so thanks again, Ray, for coming on. Thank, thank you very much. Thank you. I, I appreciate the, uh, the, the effort or the, the opportunity. Great. Well, stick Absolutely. around, everyone. And we're back. It was great having Ray on. That was really I, I he brought brings such a different perspective to game writing from your and I's experience and, and sort of where we come from. Really? I think so. I sort of feel any, like Do you have any examples? Well, I just feel like you know, I never thought about my game writing coming from sort of that nineteen eighty three um, D and D era of mine, like okay, I wasn't playing D and D nineteen eighty three. It's more like nineteen eighty five, eighty six is probably when I first started looking at the books. But I remember my friends that were older that were playing at that time, and I remember sort of, you know, the the sort of the there was Lord of the Rings and there was D and D, and there wasn't much else, and there was definitely sort of a feeling around that type of role playing that I when I got into LARPing, by the time I got into LARPing, I never really had. I guess I had when it was back in the Hawaii and the Quest. But once I did IFGS here, it, it, I never never sort of touched back into that. Interesting. I, I mean I guess I can see that, but it the funny thing is to me it, it has always seemed like Dungeons and Dragons. Like especially what I think of as the stereotypical IFGS game is is that task game. You know, it's the you know you must go and get for me the ancient artifact of St. Cuthbert, you know? And so it's always felt very, very D&D, especially, you know, Dead Eyes, Magic Missile, and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Interesting. Um, yeah, I never I never got that. I mean, I, I always also had a very dark, like that, that era of D&D, the first edition sort of era, was always very dark. And as I grew older and got into second edition, third edition, and, and then fourth edition... It, it got lighter and lighter for me, like the, the the feeling behind it. But thinking back to that second, that first edition, like I I could just imagine some of those modules when I was reading through them, like you know, expedition to the barrier peaks. You know, when you're deep inside that dungeon, 
Um, yeah, definitely, definitely felt like original D and D. You were almost like um, you you were kind of robbers, right? Sure. Yeah. Whereas by third edition, I mean fourth edition, I should say, you're these sort of glowing paragons of, you know, we will smite everything. Ha, ha, ha. And, and I think my characters were a little bit more deep back then. At least I, I think back on them. Maybe they weren't. But I think back on some of my old original D&D characters. And definitely those are the ones that I had the strongest connection to compared to some of my characters now that I come up with that I'm like, oh, this is sort of an interesting idea. But well, it's because that was a role-playing game. That was this probably is, is fourth edition. Well, and I think that's what Ray sort of touches into is is he talks about the early IFGS, all the sure. character development, because there was more of this role playing. And now it's much more of, you know, sort of the task oriented. Let's make sure we have all the roles on the team. Let's make sure we complete this correctly. Right. It's it, yes. Yeah, so the, the sort of the approach is a much more metagame approach, right? Yeah. OK, I can totally see that. And it, it's interesting because um no offense to any of the games that I've played in so far this summer um, up to now, but Keith's game, Warm, Safe, Happy Place, which we'll talk about in a minute, is the first game at the first, you know, the, in a long time that he sent me an email today about the game. And, and, and I sort of – he gave me a little – it was like a little in-game role-playing email, right? And I responded in-game role-playing-ish. Oh, awesome. And and I was just all like, oh, I'm starting to get like into this. Like I am hoping that – it doesn't like, and he asked for like magic item lists and things like that. And my immediate thought was, I hope those magic item lists don't really matter. You know, I hope that it doesn't really matter what items have or how powerful you are. I hope that we it's can more about the, me exactly me and the team I'm with and the 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 environment I'm in. So I'm I'm I don't know. I'm I'm hoping that that maybe brings back some of that old time feel. That it might also just be because uh, I guess we'll talk about it later. But that that game is a one team game. You know, yeah, gives you gives the game writer a lot more ability to focus but we'll, we'll talk about that here in a second well, going back to that one team game we did that for um an unsanctioned game last winter for yeah. brandon um and i thought we maybe touched on a little bit of that so maybe that's a, a way that we need to go maybe we need to think about one team games it's a little bit harder production wise but price yeah, totally. and budgeting but maybe that's something that ifgs needs to to look into I think the other problem, though, is that it also needs the players to be one team game players. You know, if you're walking in there with your. What I'm now going to call your MMO character, the one team game is not going to do you any different than any other game. Sure, but I, I'm, I'm curious if if you can ease players into that. Right. So if you have a team of five, let's say, and three of them are, you know, those one game team, you know, characters they are the really deep characters, you know, like. Like the Derricks, you know, let's use Derek sure. as a great example. But then we can fill in with two other characters that we can sort of hook them into that. And, yeah, and it can grow organically. I don't know. It's just something that we might want to experiment with in the future or someone else sure. might want to experiment with. Great. So so what, what's been going on with us lately? Oh, my gosh. Uh, it's been a great <laughs> summer. I was telling Ray this before we started the, the Skype interview. Um, we produced a couple games at the beginning of the summer, and then we've got to play. And so for me, at least... Um, all of our writing was mostly done. We do have still one big project that we'll talk about sort of on the horizon for this year. But um, I've just gotten to play and, and slowly work on producing our final game, which is in September. But it's been a really relaxing, um, ex you know, sort of, I don't know, journey this summer. How, how has your summer felt for IFGS? Incredibly busy. Um, <laughs> totally different. It, than... Well, it's, I mean, but in, in one part, I totally agree with you, right? I, I haven't felt... 
I've I felt like some summers we've I've had to like crunch through writing while doing all this other stuff, mm-hmm. and I haven't felt that way this summer. And and getting to play has been awesome. Um, I've really enjoyed getting characters together and getting together costuming and you know all that kind of stuff. Um, and I really enjoyed getting to play some of my characters who just haven't seen the light of day in a while. Um, so, so yeah, that's all been really great. So who have you gotten to play since we last had a podcast? The last podcast was uh, early June, I think, before Trial by Fire. Well, so I think we've only had so Trial by Fire. I got to play Thanatos, which okay. who is my nasty evil cleric. Fabulous character, by the way. <laughs> oh yeah, maybe that's great. maybe my favorite of all of your characters. Really? Yeah, he, he feels a little. Yeah, he. I didn't. I didn't quite feel like I got to do enough of him. Uh, it, playing that chaotic evil character sometimes it it can you can focus too much on how do i be the most chaotic evil i can be rather than how do i be the most chaotic evil person that i can be sure does that make sense yeah and i felt like we fell a little bit into that i definitely did i i definitely struggled with that but i thought thanatos i saw him peek out quite a few times and, and it's just like wow that was that was the perfect thing to say in that you know that that area or you know in that uh, encounter or something, right? Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I, I really enjoyed playing him. I got to play uh, in in a in a non-playing in an NPC character. I got to play Tempest, who's an old knight character of mine who I just I adore. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I got to play Jabberwock, who is so much fun. It's not even. It's I mean, it's just criminal how much fun he is to play. So, so. talk about Tempest. So we produced a game. We produced yep. uh, oh long way from home. Long way from home. And uh, what did you think of that game? I loved that game. I really enjoyed that game. That so far, I have actually enjoyed producing and NPCing in that game more than I've enjoyed piecing in the other two games. Wow. Okay. So far, we'll okay. see. I mean, we'll see what else this summer holds. But yeah, uh, yeah, it was it was pretty good. The the week before the game, we were struggling on NPCs, so we were definitely toying with the idea of canceling the game. That got me pretty yep. stressed out. Um, and there were some stacking issues during that game that stressed me out, as you know. Um, <laughs> uh, but other than that, I thought it turned out really well. I thought, you know, there are definitely things, the final fight I would have, now that I've seen it, I would, I would definitely change things about it, but yeah, sure. But yeah, no, it, I agree. It, it was a really great, uh, experience. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed that game. Uh, so. uh, writing. Let's see. Writing. We've done a little bit of tinkering with uh, Heart of the Highlands, which is coming up at the end of September. Mm-hmm. But most of that's been pretty minor tinkering, just to add some more sort of physical stuff to the game. Um, and other than that, we've been talking back and forth about a couple, one game next year and one game this year, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Uh, the game this year is um, Vineyard's Candlelight. Which I'm I'm excited about. I think it's got some good stuff. Um, I had some special effects thoughts on it today that I should share with you. Um, but uh, yeah, in general, it's it's going to be. I think it's going to be the kind of game I really can get into. Um, as long as we can figure out how to actually produce it. That's yeah, the tough part. I I agree. There's there's definitely a barrier there that that that's that's holding me back on that game. I've sat down a few times to try and get some the finish up the writing on it or get started on the writing on it and it's it sort of just stopped me a little bit so hopefully yeah. hopefully we'll get past that on um, and then a, yeah envoy envoy is a game for next year it's 
I think it's fabulous. I think it's going to be a great game. Um, I'm really excited about getting to work on that, but I'm having to sort of shelve it until we get through this season. It's just... Yeah, Candlelight especially. Yeah. Yep. So, sanctioning? Um, well, for me, let's see. Um, the Persistent Magic Shop project has started up. Um, and for those of you who don't know, that's a project where we're basically writing up a big, enormous magic shop. Well, I mean, writing up. It's already been written. Um, but we are sort of codifying it. We're clarifying it. We're making sure it's all pretty solid. And then anyone who wants to can just steal all of it or some of it or whatever they want, dump it into their game. They leave the item numbers the same. We made sure the item numbers don't interfere with a regular uh, game, uh, you know, sort of magic uh, list, unless you're unless you give out more than a thousand magic items in your game. Um, and it comes and, from an, a point of, yeah. of Ray Michelle's where Ray Michelle was talking about, oh, you know, this game is taking so long because we're having to re-sanction all these magic items. Well, there's, there are magic items that have been sanctioned in other games. And so right. they're having to redo it every single game. So the idea is that we'll, we'll write this, we'll post all the savvies, we'll put it up on the web, and then anyone can use it. And then in sanctioning, when we slap these items in, they don't have to re-sanction it. So yeah, hopefully that will yeah. cut down on the time. And in fact, I think a lot of these items, um, you can even put them in uh, not outside of a magic shop. So you know you you want your you want to give away a potion of healing. Well, you know, slap in the potion of healing from the persistent magic shop. It's got its four-digit ID number. It's already been sanctioned. Good to go. Absolutely. Um, other than that. Um, not a lot has been going on for me, sanctioning-wise. So I have two things. I've got the first pass on Sable Pass, a game that you did a... You basically rewrote or updated. Yeah, for, for 7.0, yeah. Mm -hmm. So I got the first pass done on that, and back to you, sort of. Back to my committee, at least. I think we're still waiting on comments from one of our sanctioners. Yeah. Um, and that went pretty well. Um, and the other thing is I'm... We're looking at writers for next season. So we're about ready to have another meeting, probably in sometime in September. And we'll get oh, all cool. the potential writers, producers for next season, and we'll have another planning meeting. And the idea behind this is if you're interested in writing for next year, you're interested in producing, is to come to this meeting and, and sort of talk about what you're interested in doing so we can see what holes are we that we have in our season. It's like a support group. Yeah. <laughs> but the idea is I think it helps plan out the season and, and get some other writers in there, which is, which is pretty beneficial. Are we going to build some... Uh some data so that we know like last year we had 12 writers who were going to put in 14 games and out of those we got six games no. so we can start building a <laughs> sort of an unexpected rate of return no but um I, cause I didn't actually i don't think i wrote down that that clear of notes from last season i guess i could probably go back and find them somewhere um it's funny though the retention rate of writers is probably about 40 percent so out of out of ten people that come, about four of those actually write and get their games produced. So far, is about what I'm seeing. So right, but huh. we did better this season than I think any than any season recently. We had a lot of different writers and a lot of games go. So I think it speaks well of next year. Yeah. Oh yeah, because we had we had Tomb of the Goblin Slayer and all sorts of stuff. Yeah, that was cool. So you are now the chair of the FRC. Is that correct? I am the chair of the FRC, and technically, I'm like the head of the sanctioning task force um so <laughs> these sort of came about the same way um the sanctioning 
the society sanctioning committee has been mostly concentrating on blue book stuff. Um, and we really weren't moving through the backlog of games that were supposed to be turned into shelf games. There are currently no sanctioned 7-0 shelf games. Um, and I, I was making a push to sort of fix that. And I basically offered to be the, the I don't know, go-to person and you know track what's being sanctioned and not being sanctioned, et cetera, whether it's back with the writer or with us, et cetera. And uh, so, yeah, that's. Um, is it we, going we have, or is it stalled or? Um, it's mostly going. I, I I found the problem is that, um, unlike a sort of the regular sanctioning process, we send it back to the writer and it's gone. Um, mm. We have we have never had anything returned from a writer yet. Okay. Um, including me because I I submitted Fable first uh, for a shelf game. And got comments back on it, and I have not fixed those yet, and that's been about a month. So, oh, okay. Um, but yeah, so in, interestingly, of the, I guess it's only three games, but of the three games, none of them have come back from the writer, um, and they've been out multiple months. Um, once Sable Pass finishes with you guys, it'll go in for shelf sanctioning. Um, yeah, so. Awesome. But. Yeah, it's 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 an interesting thing that and we have going on. FRC? FRC is pretty much dead. Um, you know, I uh, I made a motion when I became chair that we should start working on 8.0 um, on the grounds that if it takes us three to five years to do it, we basically will have had 7.0 for close to a decade. Um, and... They pretty much said, I mean, there were some people who said, yes, let's do it. Um, but the vast majority said, we can't. Um, our our main concern is that we don't have any 7.0 shelf games, thus leading to C point A. Mm. Um, and that until that's taken care of, we just can't concentrate on anything else. Right. So it seems like there's a little apathy there, maybe. Well, yeah, I, I mean, I, it, I think the other thing is they want, I, I believe that there is some desire for it to be board directed and the society board certainly has other things on its mind than moving on to 8 Right. Yeah. Um, I, I'm a firm believer that we need to get started now um, because eight to 10 years really is about the life of a, of a rules system. Um, and especially because seven Oh from, from six, right. wasn't really a new rules version. It should have been, six nine or something yeah it um, wasn't that it was, different yeah it was a clarification um and and cleanup and maybe maybe the archery system change is big enough that it should have been seven zero. but and all know, the I, all I, the damage numbers changed you know i mean there were it seemed like that there was some substantial sort of shifts in the basic sure. math um but i think there need to be some i think people from all the polls i've done admittedly we are not getting a big sort of rate of return on people actually answering it. But the people who do answer it are are pretty much in favor of moving on data. So, yeah, eh, we'll, we'll do what we do. Okay. Yeah, that's too bad, but I think it'll happen eventually. How about production? How's production going? Uh, full steam ahead on Heart of the Highlands. We, yeah. you know, it's it's a newbie game. It's, a, it's supposed to be a low production game. We're finding ways to plus it, um, make it a little bit better. Um, sort of all around, I've... 
you know, been uh, gathering props. I've already hit the props locker. I need to schedule a trip up to the costume locker. We've got uh, casting is, is going really, really well. You know, you've gotten the, like 75% casted. Is that right? Yeah, I think I'm missing – I'm still missing eight people, Okay. I think. Um, although that may go down significantly if – because we have teams. It feels like teams are dropping out daily. Yeah. Um, and uh, once we get down to a certain number of teams, we can – uh, we actually get to reuse some NPCs, uh, which I think then means we're done. But So if any, anyone's out there that wants to play um, or NPC, let us know. It's a cheap game. It's going to cost 20 bucks. Um, we Teams, you can throw together a team of four or five people, first to second level. It's, it's really a novice game. I mean, it's a great game to get started in this. So uh, if you're thinking about playing, definitely uh, let us know, and, and we'll help you get on a team, or, or we'll give you a lore master spot. Yeah, and I think it's actually I think it's actually a pretty good game. I think we've got some really strong elements in there. Um, it's not maybe as complex or as sort of deep as as what we would think of as non-novice games, but it, it's got some stuff. Absolutely, and the production, you know, we we just keep adding stuff. Like you know, we'll be talking and. You know, you'll be like, oh, let me let me see this mask. I want to see if I can try and, you know, alter it, you know. And I think that it's it's going to – the production level is going to come out really, really solid. I mean, not yeah. high, but solid. Yeah, I don't think it's going to be pipe dreams, but it's – I think it might be better than Long Way From Home. Yeah. Uh, upcoming games. So we get to play in a couple games. Verdant Cup is the next one, right? Yep. Two we weeks. Finally got our team together. I hope. Night, oh, night, yeah, we night, did. Night, night, Cleric? Yeah, I think so. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's actually a pretty balanced team. Once again, we've got a, a cleric, a mage, a knight, a fighter, and a thief. Thief. Yep. So um, we've got two people, Spencer and Nicole, coming from uh, the Pacific Northwest, which will be fun. Never played yeah, with them before. Yeah, that's great. Um, and uh, Cheryl Baltzer is joining us as our cleric. So Go Vosh. Yeah, I think it's going to be a good time. Yep. And then great. Warm, Safe, Happy Place. Necronexus game. Um there's some of you who know exactly what that means, and there are others of you who are like, I don't know what that means. Um, so uh, it's a game that Keith Hopkins and Karen Davis are writing just for us. I mean, not just for us, but it, we are running one team through it. It is really looking forward to it. It's supposed to be a nasty, hard, hardcore, beat-em-up kind of game, which I'm looking forward to because, frankly, I ain't ever seen one. So... Yep. Yeah. Uh, and oh, just going back to Verdant Cup real quick. Um, and I, I'm guessing the same with Warm Safe Happy Place, but I don't actually know this for a fact. If you are interested in staffing, uh, Verdant Cup's coming up in two weeks. I'm sure weeks. Norman could use the help. He could. So please let Norman know. A little free advertising for Norman. Contact him. It's happening on the 24th and 25th of August. Um, Heart of the Highlands, same thing. Contact us, and we'd love to get you in. So Heart of the Highlands will be our sort of final line course of the season, I think. Uh, yep. We talked about Vineyard you Candlelight. Think? Yeah, probably. There's some chance that's not true? Uh, maybe. All right, fair enough. Right. Um, but that's that's another another discussion for another time. Okay. Uh, and that's happening at the end of September. Uh, what, what would I like to say? September 21st? 8th. 28th. 8th. Okay. So September 28th, Heart of the Highlands, Pickle Gulch. Pickle Gulch. Yep. yep. So. Last but not least, we have, uh, as I think I mentioned earlier, we have Vineyard's Candlelight coming up sometime yeah. later. Yeah. October, November. Sorry, depends. sanctioning committee. We are going to get it in late. I yeah. apologize. I 
try and make it as clean as possible. We do have one last final piece of business. Oh, we do? Yep. So 1983. This is the question for you. Do you oh, what, right. Do you know what the Billboard number one top song was? I was eight years old at this point. Thriller. Thriller? Uh, no. That was good guess, though. Michael is Jackson right? held number two and number five for that year with All Billie right. Jean at number two and Beat It at number five. Oh, wow. But so number four thriller. Yep. Um, so number one was Every Breath You Take by The Police. Oh, of course. It was the first song that I ever learned how to play on the keyboards. Really? Yeah, I must have been like Somehow 10. I imagine you on a guitar all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah, my, my parents got me this little like electronic little Casio keyboard, and I could play a little bit of Every Breath You Take. Do, 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 do. Yep, that's basically do, it. Do, 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 do. Yeah, I remember um, uh, our gym teacher used to play that for us, like as part like while we were doing calisthenics or whatever, and I always thought it about was about a stalker. <laughs> I, I could see why. That's sort of creepy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks everyone for uh, listening in, tuning in, and uh, hopefully we'll be back a little bit more frequently here in the future. It's been sort of a busy summer. Yep. If there's uh, any topics you guys want to hear, any anything or anyone that you really want to uh, spout off and have their opinion heard, just let us know, and uh, we will uh, see what we can do. Yep. So. Absolutely. Yep. So remember, fighters fight. Fight.